Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Austin Powers Edition. We're talking Austin Powers in Goldmember today. My name is Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, your friend and mine, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello, Tom. Hey, assholes. Over here, a mini-me. Come and get me. <laughs> you made the right choice. It was almost almost worth the physical and mental torture of Vern Troyer to have Danny DeVito play Mini-Me in the meta movie. <laughs> I've and been ruminating about this for a long time actually since we since we finished our last episode. I'm I mean it it's a broader it's a broader conversation about comedy in general. Yeah. Like what are your feelings about like I I'm immediately going off on a tangent, but <laughs> it's fine. I but, love it. But like where do you lie on like is inappropriate humor just no longer allowed? Um cuz inappropriate humor has always made me laugh and I was thinking about this the other day. And what you were saying about Vern Troyer, and you're not wrong about any of it, about his advocacy, mm-hmm. but you seemed to be equating it, or at least it sounded to me like you were almost putting it on a level as any woman who's been alone in a room with with uh, super Steven asshole. Seagal? No, well, Steven Seagal, or, but I was... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm blanking on his name. I just erased it from my memory. But, Harvey uh, Weinstein. I'm Harvey assuming. Weinstein. Yeah. yeah. And I agree that that I, I I'm actually really pleased that that is now his legacy. That when yeah. someone when someone's like, oh, what's the name of the guy? You know, he traps women in hotel rooms because for so long it was Pulp Fiction. You know, one of right. the greatest movies of all time. Now he's getting the legacy that that man deserves. That he deserves. So at any rate. I mean, do you view those things as equivalents? Because you mean Vern Troyer? I mean, I still get that, like the idea behind his advocacy, but he he could have said no. Yeah, I I get that that he has less power. So obviously, the idea of being in a major motion picture, of becoming famous, and all the trappings of that to anybody would seem like something to do but but he has the choice and there are lots of people that have not had choices and so i don't know that they're equivalent like you were talking about the abhorrency of it and i don't know i've just i've just been thinking yeah. about it like all day i wasn't even thinking of, of of you know what was actually going on off screen more okay. that the way it appears on screen and the and you know the con the, the essentially the power connotations Right. The power imbalance. 
Because I don't imagine, at least I don't imagine there's ever a day he was treated poorly on set. I'm, you know, I, well, I, I imagine I, I, yeah, he was I'm, as important as anybody else on set. But I, I'm but talking, point, I'm talking about every, uh, when I say physical and mental torture, I mean what he experiences in the course of the movie. The character, right. The, what, well, no, what the, the actor is forced to do as well. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But going no further than that, I'm not casting any aspersions on um on Mike Myers, but you know, I'm just I'm purely going with what we see on screen, which is why I'm far more favorable to Minnie Me in this movie because I feel like at some point they've gone they've they've kind of said, "Well, let's try and do some higher level physical comedy with him." Gotcha. Um, I don't know if that was a conscious choice, but certainly it makes it far more palatable. And it just overall seems a better use of his talents, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Um, although this is taking place within a storyline where he is, um, he, he defects from Dr. Evil. So you can see it almost as if like, you know, Dr. Evil is his, his abuser. Right. And he's, you know, so I, I don't know. Maybe that's too meta, but um, just, just, just as, and you know, inappropriate comedy, I have absolutely no issue with. I think it's all about execution. Uh, it's so about is the, the difference? It's about say, the, cl- it's about the clarity of the, the aim. of the joke. The clarity. Well, yeah, the clarity, and and this is what this is one of the. So two- let me ask you this: like, yeah. Is it the difference between say? having him in a baby harness in this movie and having and having Peter Dinklage constantly referred to as an an angry elf in the movie Elf but he's a super badass who's going to like not take that and kick his ass for having said it well i mean Is it, yeah it's it's cuz both things are making fun of their this... height there's also, you know, Peter Dinklage in Living in Oblivion as well, where he plays a, a a small person who's hired to do a dream sequence, and you know, actually says, um, "Have you ever had a dream with a with a dwarf in?" Nope, I haven't, and I am a dwarf. Uh, <laughs> so, but it doesn't even need to be articulated in that way. I think, you know, the 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 other the other the other positive example of of how, you know, you, you integrate someone from that community into a big budget movie is Time Bandits, where right. Heights is never really mentioned, even Ever, though right. the what, like five of the of the leads of the movie are small people. And right. it doesn't factor in at any point. So I think something something That's just they they're just who has been hired. Right. Um, well, at first, before they steal the map, but <laughs> so I like that in this movie that that when Vern Troyer is used, you know, as a let's say, you know, a, a mime, basically a mime artist, shall we say, a mm-hmm. uh, physical comedian, um, it's not always related to 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 height. Okay. Um, so I think that's a, an interesting and important distinction. Um. But it's 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 a really it's a good question and a good point. Um, and you can apply the same thing to Fat Bastard in terms of you know, right? Um, 
and you and you kind of you pointed to the fact that they they do a you have this heartfelt speech at the end right. of the movie and it's like at that level of does that level of self-consciousness change things right uh, you have a similar move in this movie where he's no longer fat right and, and like, i guess and like, i just i'm curious because we seem to be in a place now comedically where if you're going to upset anybody you just shouldn't make the joke and i don't know that you can do that no i don't and i don't think you 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 should do that and i think you know culture needs contradictions right. in order to function and i just think i think you need to come from a from a place of awareness of the context of the joke yeah okay i'm with you on that and who and who your target is and whether that target is someone who's so powerless they they can't put up their own fight you know that they're not in control of a defense they're not in control of the punchline all right Um, that's fair and i don't think that's a lot to ask to be perfectly honest yeah (laughs) all right tangent done (laughs) for now yeah for now i'm sure we'll get how much did this movie make yeah, exactly. I was going to say, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about Austin Powers in Goldmember, a 2002 film directed by Jay Roach yet again. We talked about everything Jay Roach has done. Yeah. Impressive. In the last episode, it's varied and, you know, for the most part good. There's there are good movies. Yeah, there he's sort some... of he's honed I, I I don't know if I said in the last episode, but he's kind of honed in on the on the the quality end of of Hollywood, uh, well, not even comedy, like Hollywood dramedy. Yeah. Um, and in later years, with the two HBO movies and Bombshell, he certainly right. is towing a line within politics that is very interesting to me. And history, which I suppose... And history, right. I suppose you could call this a history movie. <laughs> certainly has very many interesting things to say about how we represent history on film. Right, Okay. This movie had 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's 1% more than The Spy Who Shagged Me. With a budget of $63 million and an opening weekend of $73 million. In the USA, $213.3 million. Worldwide, cumulatively, $296.3 million. And I, I gave it none of that. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so this is your favorite in the series, my second favorite. Of the of the sequels. Of the, uh, not the series, but the sequels. Yeah. So let's talk enormous cold open. Oh. I mean, it, it, the first thing that I'm put in mind of is a recent episode we did on The Dark Knight Rises where we speculated that Christopher Nolan thought, you know, this is maybe the last time I make a big budget action movie. I I'm gonna go full Bond right. on the cold open, and I feel like it feels like Mike Myers is maybe in a similar mindset here. It's like I don't know whether I'm gonna have access to these this level of movie making again. I want right. this to be. I don't want this just to be a parody of Mission Impossible and the Bond movies. I want it to feel like it really is, is. that thing to an eerie degree. Yeah. And the, well, 
I was bowled over by that. I mean, the the difference between this and a and a modern day Bond movie is, uh, um, you know, meaningless. <laughs> well, and I find it interesting because, you know, it, it I. <laughs> I just think it's fantastic that Tom Cruise ends up in this cold open because Mission Impossible 2, yep. which is, in my mind, really the only unsuccessful Mission Impossible movie. It, it's a, yeah. Completely yeah. and utterly let, a failure. For, for now, me. let's say that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and that movie came out in 2000. This movie comes out in 2002, and it seems like that's one of the things that Mike Myers is doing is parodying this terrible movie. And uh-huh. Tom Cruise is just completely on board for it, which I kind of love. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you, you know, I immediately went to Mission Impossible because of Tom Cruise and because of the iconography, which is specifically recalling the first two Mission Impossible movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get the, <laughs> but what was particular, what was, particularly i think just plain eerie to me was that in the same year 2002 that a bomb the bomb movie die another day is released this movie begins with a driverless car and in a die another day we will get an invisible car right and this is what i mean about the differences between the real thing and the parody no longer exist yeah but um this, I suppose one of the reasons I was so impressed by this movie was it was able to predict so many things that happened in certain movie franchises in in Hollywood generally um, over the past, what, it, what has it been, like nearly 20 years since the movie came out. That's hard to say. As a, right. as a as a human, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I don't know how deep to get into this. It sounds like conspiracy theory, but it, it's um not the Mel Gibson movie, the, an actual conspiracy theory, <laughs> right? Uh, not the last good Mel Gibson movie. Um, that oh, wow, just throwing darts. Throw that in there. This, this, so in the course of this movie, it's revealed that Doctor Evil spoilers, Doctor Evil and Austin Powers are brothers. Right. There is also a scene where Doctor Evil is in prison, giving right. information to Austin Powers. Now, these are the basis of the storylines for both Spectre and. As far as I can tell, the as yet unreleased No Time to Die, from what we've seen from the trailer. <laughs> I think they were going more for Silence of the Lambs. Well, that's the thing, but and and I think I I think it is just this amazing command of film history, right? And of film of film conventions and and, and their parody of them that makes that makes this almost universal and timeless. Mm-hmm. Like you know, when you got the brother reveal, I immediately thought because we've just done the movies, Desperado, same thing happens. Hero and villain find out they're brothers. Yeah, and it's like okay, well maybe that's just a bad sequel convention, <laughs> right? But it's also a bad sequel convention 
that is the centerpiece of the the you know the mo- the most recent Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Incredible. It's just an incredible. It's an incredible foresight, and I think that is because uh, Mike Myers is a is a, right. is, a Every... is a is a scholar and student of film and yeah. comedy. And everything is sharply coming into focus for why you like this movie so much. I can I, now I fully understand why you appreciate it so much. But because but it, when this... it's when it is, and all of that's true, when it's working on that level of sitting within franchises and then predicting franchises. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, my problems start with something as simple as where's Heather Graham. But because you took yeah. the time mm. in the last sequel to shunt the first woman aside and bring a new woman in, and you did it brilliantly, and it was hilarious, and you have none of that in that movie. It's, she's just, like, not even mentioned. Not even, like, a joke, like, you know... Not even having Basil Exposition say something about her and him saying, oh, yeah, that bird, whatever happened to her? Like, not, like, like no joke, even. And to me, that's almost unforgivable. Interesting. Considering what they did in the last movie. Like, it's just such a... But, but then isn't that inversion a good gag in itself? Like, the fact that in this movie we we don't do the continuity and we treat it like actually every other Bond movie. Bond which, movie? At least at the time, did not refer back to right. itself. Like, that's how I took it. And I, I, I like the same with Fat uh, Bastard just turning up. Like, it's... They're, they're, they're almost, weirdly, and I don't know why it applies to this joke and literally no other joke in the movie, they weren't willing to go back there. Because they'd already done it. <laughs> right. Um, and it's more on brand to just completely reset. Um, more on brand for Bond movies. I, yeah, I get that. Um, it's funny you say you that. An, like, you raise an interesting It's an, it's an inversion, and you're right. And maybe that's the joke, but I didn't get it when I saw it, and I didn't get it on my rewatch. It's not not where my mind went. I I still it, you know it still is. It seems like, I think it's the writer part of me that <laughs> that yeah. doesn't like it. But the idea of the idea of sequels and discontinuity is so central to this movie. Because mm-hmm. um, about a third into the movie, we get like a mini prequel, which right. shows all of the characters at a. British boarding at a British together. boarding school, right? And it occurred to me at that moment. This is what I mean about the prescience of of this movie. It's like there are prequels that are exactly like that that have been made since. Cruella is one of them that mm-hmm. are not parodies, right? <laughs> and it it's really interesting. It hadn't hit me until we talked in the last episode about how the Spy Who Shagged Me came out in '99, right? So the Star Wars parody that they were doing was very much original trilogy because, you know, they wouldn't have access to some a movie that was released at the same time as them. But here, a few years later, te- they are actually taking on the idea of a prequel. And at the time, you know, this is pre-even Batman Begins. 
you know, your right. go-to there would be what's the biggest, you know, what's the biggest prequel um, fran- your franchise currently going? And it's Star Wars. Well, yeah, and, it's Star Wars. And, you know, what's on their mind is this kind of discontinuity of, um, you know, prequels making out that everyone already knew each other and went to school together. It's like, <laughs> you know, that remi- that's, that's how uh, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones work. Right. And it will get worse and worse, and and to you know to the point where we almost can't get away from it, as an as as an idea of of referring you know like sequels uh, are just you know create this completely fabricated reality in which everyone knew each other before they knew each other, <laughs> and everything happened before it happened. Right. Um. But it's so it's. I do. Th- I I think. It, because in the context of that and other um other kind of overall retconning um which you know the the brother reveal is is the the centerpiece of um it feels like a deliberate attempt to make this fi- make this less of a continuation more of a sort of uh period resume sequel yeah all right all right but, but you know, I mean, you're not, you know, you're not wrong in the, you know, lots of. I think. I I can certainly see people objecting to the idea of framing this around a movie within a movie. I really like that as a framing device and as a storytelling mechanism in this context. Okay. I mean, they stole it from Get Shorty. But at least they had the good grace to cast John Travolta and Danny DeVito in the movie. In the movie. <laughs> as almost an apology. Because it is exactly the same. The end of this movie and the end of Get Shorty are exactly right. the same. Right. Um, but I just think it's kind of the way to go. And one of the reasons I, I think I'm so attracted to the third movie in a series is because they they just they start to get very meta about the formula there's a kind of comfort level that allows you to be very kind of uh, just yeah, comfortable, just getting very meta with how you're handling the formula. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. You know, Scream 3 doesn't work. Here, I think it's a nice, especially if you're in the mode of wrapping up, which I feel like this movie is very much, feels that like it's the end of the line. Hey, don't go announcing good or bad on other series we haven't done yet, all right? (laughs) (laughs) All I said was that the meta movie element of Scream 3 didn't work. I think there's a lot more in that movie, including Jamie Kennedy on the camcorder. Right. All right. Let's take our first break, and then we'll come back and we'll we'll dive deeper into Austin Powers in Goldmember right after this. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. 
So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. The Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Austin Powers in Goldmember, the 2002 sequel. All right, Tom, we haven't gotten very far into the plot of this movie, but this movie doesn't get very far. We have, you know, we have the cold open, then we have that another big movie set dance scene. Yeah. Which I do like watching uh, Steven Spielberg uh, do <laughs> backflips and shit shit well the, well the whole thing is is like a it's like a kind of holistic tribute to movie history in, in mm-hmm. various different ways we have kind of classic hollywood musicals being pastiched the whole idea of having hollywood like current well recent hollywood stars of the last say 15 20 years you know play um the popular character. Yeah, I mean, Tom Cruise, good. Gwyneth Paltrow, great. Danny DeVito, fantastic. Then you see Kevin Spacey and you go, well, that's a shame. But you can't really blame the movie for that. I mean... No, no, given his fame, I mean, obviously, I'm sure everyone knew, but, um, you know, in the moment, it would have been the go-to choice. Um... It's not the uh, just between Tom Cruise and Kevin Spacey. It's like, how many people do I need to feel uncomfortable about right. in one scene? Right. Um, and then, I mean, I again, this is speaks to the whole. I've never seen this before. Britney, bitch. Yeah. And just to give you an indication of how excited I was to see, I don't think you know how much I love Britney Spears. <laughs> you don't know that, right? No. We've not, we've never come to that. I'll tell you how excited I was to see Britney. This is what I wrote. Britnet, bitch. <laughs> because I was so excited. I couldn't type the word Britney. I wrote, but Britney I didn't go back and Spears. correct. But I didn't go back and I like you it. love Britney. Oh, great. Yeah. I didn't go back and correct it because I wanted to remind myself how excited I was. And I love the fact that she does like a mini music video in the middle of all this. Mm-hmm. Like the entertainment level of this movie is is just so high. <laughs> and like, you know, like this movie has the reigning, the at the time reigning and subsequently reigning queen of pop in it. Right. That's crazy. That's a crazy amount of star quality. I will um, not And they disagree. both do musical performances. Uh, so I was I was absolutely delighted for that uh that kind of cameo. You know that that cameo. Um Mike Myers just really putting it literally like plugging all his connections. And I remember he I remember him talking in an interview about 
you know, the challenges of doing that and managing everyone's schedule, you know, all these huge sure, movie right. music star schedules to get them appear to appear in like even one frame of the movie. And it felt re- when he talked about it, it, felt like, well, this is like a real passion project of this is how I want this. But here's what's to interesting out. to me as well. I saw this movie in the theater. I didn't remember any of this. Interesting. I did not remember Tom Cruise, Gwyneth Paltrow, Danny DeVito, Kevin Spacey, or Britney Spears appearing in this movie. At mm. like not, I you know, they were all happy surprises. <laughs> For I the don't most think part. I could ever forget it. I know. It's weird. Interesting. But I also, you know, maybe I equate that to I've I've seen the original Austin Powers and I, I saw The Spy Who Shagged Me more. I saw this movie once in the theater and I don't think I've seen it since. Hmm. So. And then there's people in this movie who are kind of not necessarily deserve to be stars, but <laughs> but ended up being people people of prominence. I'm talking about Carrie Ann and Arbor, of course, from Dancing with the Stars. I was going to say the same thing. Now, like, how do you feel about that scene, though? The f- I feel the like me, I don't scene. want to hear, having n- know that she played two characters called Fook Me and Fook You, I don't want to hear her judge another dancer ever. <laughs> <laughs> I am not willing to take her judgment seriously anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's so, so. But you're blaming her? No, I'm not blaming. Her. I'm just that was just something funny to say. All right, good. Um, I, what I mean, it it's like, it's like a nexus of all the Mike Myers fetishes, right? Mm-hmm. Split screen, the same person playing two people. Right. <laughs> split screen. Um, you know, obviously, the man's got a fetish for you only live twice because all like sixty percent of the imagery of Austin Powers comes from that one Bond movie, right? Um, and I, I, he probably has like a you know an Asian girl fetish too, I think. Um, uh, so that's how that's how it read to me. It it, it it's it's worth a good cringe or two. But you don't put it on the level of how upset Vern made you in the last movie. I mean, oh, I think you know the the because the name isn't just racist; it's also a pun. <laughs> you see, it's all right. it's all about. There's the it, I feel the same about Goldmember as well. Like the relief that washed over me after all the ableism and sizeism in the movie, that we were kind of mocking the Dutch, <laughs> and we weren't even mocking you know, actual Dutch culture. We were mocking national stereotypes of Dutch people. Right. Like I thought, yeah, this is definitely the direction to take it with. I'm definitely way more comfortable with, you know, would you like a smoke and a pancake? Because it's very clear that 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 is not the reality of Dutch people that Mike Myers is mocking. He's mocking what we know about them from a distance. Okay. And I felt here, you know, it was about it was all in service of the, you know, fook me, that's quick. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, the, like, the pun, the racism and the pun were almost in a kind of harmonious balance. And I think it's the same with Goldmember. Okay. And I, I'm more comfortable in that area. But, yeah, it does, anytime anyone is 
you know, putting on this kind of real... I do have some unfortunate... Old-timey, old you know, old-timey fake Japanese of the, you know, 70s and 80s right. movies. It's hard to take. But I see, like... It's, it's all about clarity. I can see the joke behind it and the and and what and the, the the joke is working on a level that I'm just about comfortable with. I did I I did a fact check on you. I have some unfortunate news for you. What's that? Carrie Ann Anaba doesn't play both characters. Oh, she doesn't. No, it's two different actors. Oh. So now you're I... you're you're leaning into stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that that I I did note that that twin split screen looked remarkably good. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh, good job. And uh, good job, everyone. Diane Mazoda is the other actor. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, all right. So. Do so I I think you do you like the boarding school stuff? Like, does all of them going to school together, does that work for you? As a parody of what prequels do, I, were they were those kids dubbed with Mike, with Mike Myers' voice? I think so. I was like, because I, I thought, okay, are these kids dubbed by Mike Myers or is this the best group of actors we've seen in the series so far? Right. Either way, they're, either way they're very good. Uh-huh. They're doing a great job of physically Absolutely. Um, um, embodying the characters. I love the old man runner gag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this old man who's pointing, and la- the old toothless man pointing and laughing at, at Austin, Austin in two different historical periods, right. I think is wonderful. Um, so yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't have an issue. I thought it was, it was a fun jab at... I suppose, going back even further, like again, it's like uh, there's something that a movie like Young Sherlock Holmes does completely unironically, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're doing it here to poke fun at that. All right, you not like it? Well, it's not, and it's not that I don't like it. It's that there's there's so much in this movie that I think it's almost comedian laugh at it, where I go, yeah, that's funny. Hmm. But I don't. It doesn't actually make me laugh. Not like the fisting silhouette gag in Spy Who Shot. Apparently me. not. <laughs> <laughs> but I. I mean, but I. I, gotta I tell had you, the note... silhouette shit in this movie. I mean, that really made me laugh. Yeah, I. I and I. I have that same note. But I, I also just arm as a dick, like thumping a table, <laughs> that kind of in shit. The, Fuck. In the same. Um... In the same part of the movie that we're talking about, I just thought that I could tell, compared to Spy Who Shagged Me, that the physical comedy was much more stable and much funnier because of it. Like, they didn't have to add a gross-out element to every piece of physical humor. I'll go along with you on that, because the least successful thing to me in The Spy Who Shagged Me is all the gross-out humor, or most of it. Yeah. Uh, Especially... Just the fact that, you know, like, something as simple as Dr. Evil opening the door of the cell he's in right (laughs) like it really simple gag and i feel like the fact that that is delivered without you know him i don't know i don't know how you'd make that disgusting but they've done it before (laughs) 
<laughs> so they'd find a way if they wanted to, but it feels like they don't want to. My it's favorite part like, of that gag that's a though, good gag. Is that he... The door was open all the time is a good gag. Yeah, it is. But my favorite part of that too is that he walks back into the cell. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's just fucking amazing. That's great. So I mean, and like I said, there's just so much about this movie that I do like, but I think it's Well, you think it's a good movie. I do. Let let us not forget. I do think it's a good movie, uh, but I'm I'm really trying to reconcile like what you appreciate and what I appreciate, and it's starting to dawn on me that you have a broader sense of this movie and the where the jokes, uh, how they how the jokes were formed, what they originate from, and all of my problems have to do with the narrative. Right. Uh, so I don't like that we don't know what happened to Heather Graham. I don't, I don't like that we have time machines again. Mm-hmm. It seems sort of unnecessary, and it kind of muddles the movie for me. Uh, Except you, get I don't like to that we keep adding historical characters period. for Mike Myers to be in, or to do, and, and like the movie just starts to feel like it's bursting at the seams for me a little bit. Interesting. I like that we get to go to a completely different... We get to have a new satirical target mm-hmm. in the 70s. So we're using the time machine again, but we're going to a different historical period. Sure. Which is something that they didn't... They just went back and forth between the 60s and now, up until this point. Uh-huh. So it was nice to have... It was just nice to have other... Another place to go. Uh, I'll give you other that. Anachron- other anachronisms to parody. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll i give you that. I think it's plenty nice to go to a different place. But to me, it's like you already did... Especially you when already Beyonce's did that. there. Well, yes. Sorry? But to me, it's, you know, this is a, a narrative thing you already did. So think of something else. Okay. You know. Again, you could... You could... Uh, wage the same argument against any Bond movie. Sure. <laughs> and would. <laughs> um, I do. I, I, I love the bit with Nathan Lane. I was just going to say, I have Nathan Lane lip syncing. And after saying in the last movie that he, the use of Mike Myers, famous talented friends was kind of hit or miss. Mm-hmm. I think this movie is far more of a um, So I Married an Axe Murderer level. You know, everyone right. gets their moment to shine. Yeah. Except maybe Charles Napier, which is a, is, is a problem. Criminal. Um, yeah. <laughs> Especially, I just saw an episode of Star Trek where he plays a space hippie who is mostly naked and <laughs> sings Doors-like songs with a harp. Wow. I feel like this guy could probably manage a bit of comedy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you just have to watch the Blues Brothers to know that. That's true. That is completely true. And then we get to, of course, we we get to the man himself, Michael, Michael Caine. Caine. Um, and, you know, I've said before that obviously, like, the level of authenticity that brings to the parody like we've said before you know when naked when the naked gun movies have the people that you would cast if you were doing this seriously Mm -hmm. it jumps up a level right 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 
<laughs> because it's better, you know, better than getting a comedian to do because you find that the, you know, the whole idea behind those Zucker movies is you get the people who are actually in these kinds of movies to do it and they become comic giants out of it. And I feel See, like I always felt as... like I wish he was in it more. It's just like it's such small bursts of Michael. Caine. Oh, but those bursts, I they're mean, great. What he, yeah, his material is is perfect whenever he's on screen. Apart from when he looks at Vern Troyer's penis, I don't know why that scene's in the movie. <laughs> um, <but laughs> he's also too good of an actor for that scene to be in the movie. I think they wanted that to come across as as comedic. Mm-hmm. But he's playing it straight, straight right. and that worries me. Right, right, right. <laughs> and Vern Troyer looks worried in a way I'd not seen him, even when he's being kicked like a baby. Um, a, a football. Sorry, I'm thinking. I was like, <laughs> don't don't kick a baby. I, in fact, I, I would say, as I a said, general wait, rule, don't don't do anything to a baby say, that happens to Mini Me in any of thing? these movies. Do you kick your babies? No. Okay, no. good. I'm thinking of South Park. Right. Like the, the the safe the good version of, of baby kicking. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I you're absolutely right and you know, maybe they could have broken it up a bit better and found more for him to do, but I love the fact that when he's on screen the material is so strong. And some of my favorite moments, you know, when they're talking in Courtney rhyming slang to each other. Yeah, okay. you know, in, in comp- incomprehensible, the Bogner Regis tea kettle, and then she shat on a turtle, kind of dialogue. <laughs> right. uh, which again, like you know, that kind of dialect comedy when Mike Myers does that well, it's excellent. And there's a great some even great subtitle jokes in this movie as well, mm-hmm. which is something we haven't quite seen since Wayne's World. And he just like again, I, I nails that whole sequence. There's the the Dutch line which I quoted right. in the previous episode, and we also get introduced to Goldmember at this time. And I kind of, I was kind of impressed. I thought you know after after you know introducing a few new characters that didn't really land, I thought this was this was better. But they were trying less hard. I like that they were trying less hard, but he didn't land as well for me either. But things because also narratively, like I I think I mentioned in our ranking episodes, I have a note here that's like, where the fuck is Goldfinger? Because he just disappears for like twenty five member gold member. He disappears for like twenty (laughs) five fucking minutes. Although, where the fuck is Goldfinger is a good note because he is not in this movie. Yeah. But I yeah, but the things like. When I think about, you know, watch the stick of fat bastard, he, he finds different ways to say, I'm fat and I like to eat things. But the the shtick of Goldmember is, is just has a slight surrealist element that that is also... He literally has a gold member with... and he also likes to eat his skin. Okay. Yeah, but the fact is like, but, you know, like, fat bastard is like a, is one joke stretched out, whereas Goldmember is a lot of non sequiturs combined in one right he's a and i, I he's like got gymnast I find that... level qualities that allow and, him but to, that's what i you know he eats his own skin um uh, he he like you know when he makes a reference he says the name of the thing he's referencing in hushed tones afterwards like things that <laughs> i like that unusual slightly surrealist quality 
and I think that's the 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 story of Doctor Evil's success, is is the is the kind of, you know, we get the idea of the character. It's a parody of the Bond villain, mm-hmm. but there's so many non sequiturs around that, and I feel like they come, some way with Goldmember too, or at least it's more interesting. Like, there's no reason why just because he's Dutch he should eat his own skin. Of course uh, you know, not. It's no. Like, yeah. So I like the fact that they've gone off on a little bit of a surrealist tangent in characterizing this, and and Fat Bastard's almost the opposite of that. It's like, it's like, well, what you know, what if we just drove, what if we just drove this joke into the ground, David Letterman style? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So. Um. I do like. And, I like Doctor Evil Submarine. Yeah. I like again. I feel. I feel like this is like he just, he, like Mike Myers just wants all this wants specific Bond yeah. balls from this movie. It's not. We're not just doing general Bond anymore. Well, we're gonna have the submarine. We're gonna go to Tokyo. Right. We're gonna do everything. We're gonna from go all to Tokyo. I really, really love the sumo wrestler walkover, live and let die crocodile walk. Yes, that's hysterical to me. Yes, absolutely. It's like how many can we get? How many references can we yeah. get into one set piece? Um, and you know, I should like I was really enjoying that sequence until I realized it was a backdoor for Fat Bastard to come back in. I was like, right. I should have known sumo wrestling. I should have known right. that this is where we were going with this. But I did for some reason I didn't mind it as much. Maybe it's because it's surrounded by. Well, I uh, think part of that is that they level of comedy they weren't going. Just for gross out, just looking at Fat Bastard. Yeah, right. He was like less greasy, fewer moles. Yeah. <laughs> he looked better. And then you get like a bathhouse fight scene that's like an eerie foreshadow of Kill uh, Bill. Yeah, right. A year later. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, maybe, 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 maybe that's the real reason that Tarantino cast Mike Myers an inglorious bastard. Uh-huh. It's like I owe you that. I got you on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take another break and then we'll come back and we'll finish talking about Austin. Austin. Austin Powers in gold member. Austin. Yeah. <laughs> the departed. The departed. Right after this. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound. But as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target. Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target. That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. We're back. Once again, Tom and I are here hashing out Austin Powers in Goldmember, the Jay Roach film. 
from 2002. Sequel. I should say sequel. All right, Tom. It's, it, that's implied, to use another sequel reference, that's implied in our mandate. Yeah, right. I suppose that's technically a prequel reference, but, you know. <laughs> um, when last we left, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about, I've been talking about the things I don't like. Let's talk about the things you don't like and the things I do like. Yeah. Uh, the thing... The things I don't like. God, I just I just had one. <laughs> oh, I know. The mole. Okay, I was going to ask you about the mole. Um uh, this this is a this is an instance of borrowing a a joke from a um another Mike Myers movie, Wayne's World 2, Kevin Pollock and Astigmatism. Mm-hmm. It's the same essential gag. They've changed the affliction, but it's the same gag. And that is that's is done so perfectly. I just saw it as a pale imitation of that. Okay. That didn't really work, and and and, and a misuse of of um, Fred Savage. I thought that was the thing. I thought the only thing funny do... about any of that was Fred Savage playing it completely straight. Yes. Like he's the only he's, person. That... He's worth more than that. Yeah, exactly. He was the only person that brought me to an almost chuckle. Yes. And I was just, I was um, amazed, like, how many times we went back to it. I, yeah, exactly. It's a, like, I would have, I mean, like, if I had my choice of runners, I would have gone with the old man again. Like, I would right. I would have seen that old man laughing at Austin, the old toothless man laughing at Austin, like, six more times. Yeah. And, and, and had, you know... Seven less mole scenes. So, and let me ask you this, because you rightly, in one of our previous episodes, I don't know if it was the Spy Who Shagged, I think it was in our Spy Who Shagged Me episode, you you were talking about that there's an arc in the first movie and this movie for Austin, and in this right. one, it's the relationship with his father, and you have that runner of dad never being there for him, yeah. and they're having to reconcile all of that. Yeah. But... For me, I could appreciate that, again, that there was an arc for Austin in there again, but it also felt tacked on to me. Yeah. I can understand that. What, one of the things that Sorry, I did... Sorry, I should I be did... saying things I like. <laughs> <laughs> one, but one of the things... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. I like that... Um, I like the way that Austin's arc came full circle in the scene... Well, God, we haven't even talked about Beyonce yet. I know. When Beyonce is... So, sorry, Foxy Cleopatra. Beyonce. Um, is uh, He's teaching her how to use the internet. Right. And I thought that was a night... We were coming full circle from the you know the original movie where Elizabeth Hurley is teaching, teaching him, him about the modern world. Now he's teaching someone else about the modern world. And I thought that was a really nice button to, to uh, complete his his transformation his character transformation all right yeah what do you think what do you think of of um of beyonce in this movie to me just the fact that we get to see beyonce do a musical performance is worth whatever else she does in the movie but sure what do you think um i am i am struck by a couple of things one how long ago this was and that she's done almost nothing since in movies. In movies. Well, The Lion King. Yeah. 
But I mean, <laughs> is that it? Because <laughs> I don't know if there's anything else. I got to be honest. Like Lemonade is technically a movie. <laughs> right, fine. But I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I'm automatically defending Beyonce. Sorry. As you my, should. It's, it's my way. But I mean, you're certainly right in the. I don't think she's that great an actress. I'll, yeah, I'll and agree I don't think with that. She thinks she's that great an actress. That might be true. And I think of the three I think she's women, a performance artist. Of the three women in these movies, I think her performance feels the most forced. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you know, she just, you know, she has that musical performance that gives her the edge over the other two for me. Okay. Plus the fact that she, that even though she's not a a particularly good actress. She um she does a great black exploitation heroine oh yeah pastiche. Like she does that that it's it's not really acting, it's kind of cosplay. But that, it's great. That's an excellent way to put it. So as an actor I can see not terrible acting, but not great acting. No. No. But I I like that idea of the cosplay. That yeah. that hits home to me in a way that feels fair and and she's she's not part of the emotions of the movie right. in the same way Heather Graham's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It, that's all in the Michael Caine part of the movie. Right. Um and you know, I think they got the right man for that job and they got the right woman And I guess for this there's job. I guess one of the other things I feel like I'm missing in this movie is in, you know, the first movie Elizabeth Hurley, she's always kind of keeping him at arm's length, but it like is drawn to him. Yeah. And th- you know, like you said, she teaches him about life as it is now and to to still stay himself but be a better man within the scope of the 90s. Right. Then he finds It's him- interesting that the spy who shagged me does none of that given that it's a more recent movie. Which says it all about how the late '90s shit the bed when it came to political correctness. Right. Like, even the first Austin Powers movie cares enough about political correctness to give it lip service. But there is at least still anyway. a relationship component in that movie. Yeah. And part of that is. But that feels tacked on to me. Oh really? More ta- more tacked on. I don't think they're even trying to tack anything on here. With regards to a relationship, that's what I mean. This she, movie, she is just the 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 powers girl for this movie, that, and that's it. And so yeah. I kind of missed, like, I kind of wanted them to discover their relationship, or I, I wanted that relationship to to blossom, yeah, so that she could be shunted to the side for another movie. <laughs> right, you know. No, I, I'm I'm I I can see that. I think that's a that's a good note. All right. I I just I think the the for me the father son stuff I think hit hit better landed better than it, it did for you. Yeah. Cuz at some points I was watching it and thinking this like this is done almost better than it is in say the last crusade. <laughs> like <laughs> I believe it more. Uh which is they're definitely referencing. Yeah. Definitely, definitely referencing. But I think a lot of that has to do with how fucking great Michael Caine is, too. Right. And I think, but on the screenwriting level, I think it's actually 
kind of, I don't know, impressive? I don't know if that's the right word. The way that they them- thematically link the family reveals to the ongoing tensions between Dr. Evil and Scott. Uh-huh. Has anyone ever analyzed these movies in this no, I, know, I don't right? know. Right. But, uh, but, but and from I a was going to bring point, that up, that portion of the like, story. I was like, oh, so all this eventually will matter. Like, all of it will matter. I thought that's good screenwriting. Like, it, it's like, we're not forget... Like you say, this movie chooses to forget a lot of things that have happened. Right. But um, Cause that's... it's actually not forgot the idea that, you know, it's going to, that this this new family dynamic is going to change things between Dr. Evil and yeah. Scott. And that's the portion of the movie that I really love. Yeah. I love everything between Scott and Dr. Evil. I love physical bits about him losing his hair. I can yes. I could I could watch 20 straight minutes of Dr. Evil whether it's seeing Mini-Me for the first time or seeing his haircut or you know whatever surprises and shocks him when he gives the, yeah. the big stares I could watch 20 straight minutes of that and laugh every time. Yeah. That's how funny I think it is. But I love the idea of Scott coming into the chair next to him and Mini-Me it's like you can leave the room now. Yeah. Um, all of that works for me. And that's hmm. the narrative part of the story that I latch onto and really like in this movie. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I mean, we've already kind of talked about the uh, shadow screen scene. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's like going back to the, to the roots of physical comedy. It's two men standing on each other pretending to be one person. Right. It's a very old and obvious joke, but and you do it in silhouette, and you add all the stuff that you've been talking about with the penis, the penis, the arm penis and, arm, and when like because Minnie Me is wearing the bones of it are great, some sort of breathing a... apparatus. So at one point, and he cuts the cord on it. So at one point, it looks like he gave birth to Minnie Me. Yeah, and, and Minnie Me you know, cut having... his own cord, and all of that is like brilliant to and, me. And but all of that, his... I think, comes before, isn't it? Before. Because I could watch, again, 20 straight minutes of Michael Myers on top of Vern Troyer's shoulders yeah. with the little feet walking down the halls and, like, losing his balance and <laughs> running into shit. Yeah. Like, I fucking loved all of that. Like, to me, that's, like, such great physical comedy. And the, there's a sense of, you I know... I eat it with a spoon. I love it. Right. And, you know, I, I think... I think... The the simp it's the simpler version of the fisting silhouette gag from from the previous movie and it, it, yeah. it works better because it's it's simpler, more basic. Doesn't mean it's any less rude at times, mm-hmm. but it's just the point of it is a bit more elemental. Okay. Like it's funny because they're two guys on top of each other and you know and Neil Malarkey as the physician is imagining is you know, it's the same gag essentially. Yeah. It's like we're imagining all these things, but they're not. I mean, these movies are they're not things with... that necessarily make you sick to the stomach, and that's not the point of it. I mean, I never felt sick to my stomach watching a tennis racket be hammered into Mike Myers' ass in silhouette. Makes me laugh. Okay. Yeah. I think this is better. I I agree with you. I do think this one's better. So I'll give you that. I think I think there's a there's a Again, I I think, you know, and and sometimes you know, comedy is trial and error, and I think 
mm-hmm. they when you find the right flow of gags and you're able to stitch the gags together in a coherent way, I think this movie just does that better than the previous movie. All right. But that's not to say that they weren't trying to do that with the last movie. It's just something was slightly off. And I think here they're more on and they kind of hit the mark more, more often. Yeah. Yeah. And when when sequences turn up, it feels it feels somewhat organic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pro- it's not, but it feels that way just because the flow of comedy makes sense conceptually. All right, I think. Were you surprised? Like, like Ozzy Osbourne. What's that? Like Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean this this movie. Uh, just saying off mic. This movie is preaching to the choir. It's like low hanging fruit for me. Yeah. <laughs> when. You know, how tired am I of that, you know, montage celebrity saying dirty words? You know, this is the third time we've seen it in two movies. Mm-hmm. For the fact that the button of the joke is Ozzy Osbourne tell it, like, almost like Monty Python style, telling them <laughs> what a terrible joke it yeah. is and how tired, the, tired their formula is. I just loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. I mean... And it, it it's we need to remember like how big the Osbournes were, were at the time, yeah. At that time, they're still like in the cultural consciousness, like they haven't gone away. But I'm sure that would hit harder at the time. Absolutely. But it's also, you know, the the comedic value, what that series was all about. I'm a big fan of the Osbournes reality show. Is it's yeah, me mining too. the? It's like various people in the media realized the comedic potential of Ozzy Osbourne as a kind of real life spinal tap. Yeah. And they mind that. And I feel like Mike Myers is like, I'm having a piece of that. (laughs) (laughs) And it works really well because it's almost like the last, the last cameo you expect. Yeah. Right. (laughs) At least now it's like the last cameo you expect, but it's brilliant because it's, it's calling into question why we, well, it was a welcome surprise for me too. Cause like I said, I didn't remember that the Osbournes were in this movie. And when I see them and I see the joke that he's making about the joke that they're making. Yeah. I'm like, fucking, this is great that I'm on board. And that's what I meant about like, there are just too many good jokes in this movie for me to not say it's a good movie. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, we have a joke about Subway's Jared. Yeah. Which, again, you know, when, you, I, when, like, when, when you reference pop culture, you're, you're, you're playing craps you're, with exactly, history. Exactly, right. <laughs> and, so, and, you know, on Spacey and Jared, they lost. They, yeah, on right. the Osbournes and Hollywood talent agencies being a piece of shit, they, they won. They won, right. So they're batting 500. And if you're batting 500, you're going into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> like, right. that's what's going to happen. Well, I, I guess the big, you know, the biggest part is, you know, thinking, having the foresight to know that, that Britney and Beyonce are still going to be like, you know, the Elvises of our Especially time. Beyonce. Like, I feel like getting Beyonce in this film, what a cool. Well, Britney would have been, had circumstances been different, as we now right. know. Um, had she not been, you know. A prisoner, a prisoner. In her own life, <laughs> right? You know, no one's doing that to Beyonce. Although Jay Z tried, um, but, uh, <laughs> didn't. she used him for what he was worth, not the other way around. <laughs> uh, fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> 
She made le- she made lemonade out of those Jay Z lemons. Look at Tom Stewart just bringing it today. That's fantastic. I'm not trying to. This is just genuinely how I feel about Beyonce and 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 Britney. The fact that I get extra Britney at the end of the movie, I I, I, would, I mean, if I was in any doubt that this was a good movie. <laughs> The, the credits of this movie know instinctively what I want to see. Well, I mean... What I want, what I want to be called back. Right. <laughs> it gives me all of it. We should get to your credit check, but before that, let's yeah. just briefly talk. Do you like Dr. Evil come, yes. coming to Austin's side and helping in the end? <laughs> um... Yeah, I, f- I mean, again, I do it feels like, like that. It, I think that it feels it feels like what you do when it's the like the end of the line where it's like, well, we're not going to go. It's like. Let's make it so we can't go back from this. So but here's the interesting thing to me is that. I mean, you're talking about them seeing this movie as the end of the line, and that's what I thought, too. And then I was really surprised to see Scott all by himself with his maniacal laugh. Setting up another movie, essentially. And that just never happening. Although they're taught, like, I think they're, there's talk that there will be another Austin Powers movie. It's, it reminds me of the same, we had the same conversation and, and then, oh, I didn't even mention that talking, like, I'm thinking about the past spoof sequels that we've done on this podcast. Like, Airplane 2 was the first one we did. Right. That ends in a similar way, where I was like, I thought, <laughs> right. I thought like the the po the you know the post credit sting was a joke, and you were like, and you and Matt were like, no, they really wanted yeah, another movie, right. and I feel the same about this, and now you're telling me that in reality there's another movie coming, and it might be based around maybe um, Scott as uh, I hope it is because he's great. Um, and then the other, the other part of this, which speaks to the kind of that this is not only a spoof; it's a spoof that refers to other spoofs, is that the the naked gun Queen Elizabeth impersonator mm-hmm. appears in. Yeah, this movie. that's true. Yeah, and at that point, I'm like, this feels like worlds colliding in a way <laughs> that you don't get in most movies. That's true. Um. Uh. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose that's, and again, that's like a. That's interesting because all you've said about this movie not caring about continuity, and then I suppose the the, the final twist of the movie is that it cares about continuity. <laughs> right. <laughs> interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we've already talked about the the meta movie ending. It's exactly the same of Get Shorty. I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. It also reminded me a little bit of Blazing Saddles. Right. I think it might be a, a kind of coded yeah. like ending in the movie theater seeing the movie. But I mean, it's like, like shot for shot, even with the same fucking actor. Yes, <laughs> that's what I mean. Get Shorty. <laughs> You know, well, it's not Harvey yeah, Keitel. I mean, it's, like, but, uh, it's not Harvey Keitel doing Dennis no, Farina. But 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 with Danny DeVito there, you're like, <laughs> fuck, wow. Which you know, hey, it's like Mel Brooks says, you've got to know who to steal from. Um, and far as I'm yeah, concerned, right. stealing from Get Shorty is no crime. It is it is a sign of good no. taste. Uh, 
That's knowing where where to go exactly. to, what well to draw from. And speaking of which, yeah. I think the the Ozzy Osbourne blooper reel is worth the price of admission alone. <laughs> okay. I love the fact that like they've ne- like they've not had a blooper reel in either movie before. And uh-huh. what they rightly decide to do a blooper reel for is solely around Ozzy Osbourne fucking up his lines. Yeah. Because it's you know, <laughs> right. it's great, and then you get extra Britney in the credits, um, mm-hmm. and then you get something which is very intri- which I'm conflicted about, because at this point I'm thinking, oh, it's a shame we didn't have Burt Bacharach in all three movies, <laughs> but the vehicle for right, doing that right. is a recap montage, so half of me's going like my favorite songwriters of all time. Recap montage. Favorite songwriters of all time? <laughs> Recap montage. Um, uh, and just the just the mu- music in this movie, like when, when, when it's all played over the credits, it is just incredible. I mean, yeah. there's there's a past there's an Alfie pastiche, like <laughs> like in a movie. Uh what's well, it all about Austin? The Beyonce theme song. Uh, Britney, there's a remix of a Stone song. There's so a really happy good re- right now. remix of You're a Stone so song happy. in here. I mean, it right. shits on Madonna and Scary Spice. I'm afraid, and nothing against Madonna, but oh, yeah. we've got we've got peak, we've got peak Beyonce versus slowly going out of fashion Madonna. <laughs> so, the the other um. We know where your heart lies. <laughs> I love Madonna too, but you know, put you just can't compare at that time. At that time. No, 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 you're right. Yeah, no. Not at In that the time. last episode, I I asked the question and by the way, we haven't answered this yet. Why is Rob Cohen thanked in the credits? For this movie, I want to know why. Mm-hmm. So please, you know, write in uh if you know. <laughs> This movie, I want to know why is Billy D. Williams thanked in the credits, and I really, oh, wow, really I hope that. to God it's not because he was cut from the movie. Because if that's true, this guy cannot catch a break. <laughs> that's catch two to three break. franchises that he has been cut from. <laughs> if that's true, Batman, wow, Star Wars until Carrie Fisher died. They did. You know they yeah. didn't want him. They didn't want him back. They had no choice. Uh, right. And potentially this one, unless it's the only thing I can think of is Damn. that they they use something from a black exploitation movie that he was in. I'm and that's racial profiling, but I don't know. Hmm. Man, that that slipped by me. I didn't yeah. even see. I that. really, really hope he was not cut from the movie. And me too. I want. We gotta get yeah. somebody. Somebody in the why, know. Why is Rob Cohen Please thanked? And why know. is Billy D. Williams thanked? If it's the same reason, we're also interested. <laughs> if it's the same, if they delivered the same service. Uh, All right. Anything left on your? Oh credit yeah. Check? The most important thing. There is a disclaimer at the end of the credits. I can fairly say this. 
that says, I'm paraphrasing here, but it essentially says, the baby carrier that's used to harness Mini-Me in this movie should not be used on actual children. As if, it's incredible to me that anyone would do anything to a child that happens to Mini-Me in this movie. (laughs) Right? So there we go. Yeah. That's a firm It's also no. pr- a pretty... Don't kick your baby into poles Even if you're British. or walls. But <laughs> it's also a pretty yeah. good indication that... that Especially <laughs> That disclaimer sort British. of says it all, I think, about how... Um, <laughs> how you probably shouldn't be doing this to Vern Troyer either. <laughs> if you have to put a disclaimer that you Maybe. wouldn't do this yeah, to a right. child. Anyway, there we go. That's that's all I have. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, if you have something for us on the subject of Austin Powers, by all means, let us know. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. You'll hear us next time with our pitches for a sequel. Say goodbye, Tom. I took a Viagra, got stuck in my throat. I've had a stiff neck for hours. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Perfect. So long, everybody.